We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast wednesday april 19th 2023 everybody welcome to the pack a day podcast the penultimate episode before the NFL draft. We are just over a week away as you guys listen to this uh, from the NFL draft and no more. Who did they pick? What will they pick? What did they do? What didn't they do? Why didn't they do this? Or why can't they do this? Why won't they do this? It'll be, here's the guys. Maybe it's 10 picks. Maybe it's 12. Maybe it's seven. Who knows? A long time between now and then a lot to decide between now and then. Uh, but we'll know. And it will be actual on field. Uh, stuff to talk about, which I, I, oh, and I love the draft process. I do. And I enjoy going through this stuff uh, every year, but I will say there is a time where eventually I kind of get sick of like my 8,337th mock draft of having, you know, the same sort of feel to it and not having any on-field stuff to do for it. Like, you know, in, in two weeks time, we're going to have rookie camp and you're going to see Michael Mayer catching passes from whatever rookie quarterback they bring in or, you know, whomever I'm just throwing names out there. Obviously I don't know anything or <laughs> they haven't picked anybody yet, but just you'll have an actual piece of football analysis to do with them as a pro. And speaking of football uh, today was the start of the Packers off season conditioning program. So plenty of analysis to be had there. Uh, I am guessing by the way, Jordan love opened the door with his key card code uh, that he's going to be a hall of famer. So I don't make the rules. That's just uh, kind of how it works, but I'm joined tonight by Owen Reese. Owen, are you, have you hit the fatigue portion of this process yet? And you start a little earlier, maybe than some of us do obviously with your shrine bowl responsibilities and everything of that sort. Yeah. Um, I definitely uh, get to the point where, um, we all have, I mean, and obviously everyone's entitled to their own opinions and own ability to analyze everything. And, um, it's a very, uh, I think it's a good thing, right. For the sport of football and for the health of the fandom and that, that so many people are so invested in the draft process and it's grown in popularity and it's, it's a very good thing. However, um, just as everyone on Twitter has now experienced that once you have the ability to share your opinion, it is now believed by that person myself included, that your opinion matters, uh, which it simply doesn't. And so by this time of the year, out of the 31 first-round picks, there's about 54 locks for the first round, and nobody will get to any pick past number one. There's no way they will get there. Um, and so especially for a team like Green Bay, who is picking actually fairly uncharacteristically high, um, normally this is a situation where, um, you know, we've, we've kind of had more of these situations where they pick that 30 you know, where they're like, yeah, well, who, you know, who are the Packers going to draft? And I'd be like, I don't know, man, like one of these like eight people probably, you know, like, and it's, it's, uh, it's a great process. I'm very happy. It's, it's leading up to it. Um, you know, obviously the, the reason we're in this, right, is because the, the, the draft is a very exciting and, and fun thing. And um, those three days are awesome. However, usually the 362 days between 
um, <laughs> are fairly insufferable. And and you're right, given my I, as I'm already starting on the 2024 uh, East West Shrine Bowl um, scouting process and identification process, um, I'm I'm ready for it to be done. <laughs> yeah, and it's I mean. Again, you like you said, there's 65 guys that are going to be picked in the first round. Every mock draft has like the same – for every fan base too. This is not unique to the Packers. I've talked about this before. If you look at a mock draft from the Eagles, the Bears, the Cowboys, whoever, everybody likes all the same players it seems like. And I, will not- say, I will say this year maybe more than others, while probably like 30 NFL teams uh, consistently draft Darnell Washington on uh, the internet – I will say that the Packers and Dalton Kincaid, which has been mocked by Daniel Jeremiah, among other people, that seems to be one of like, I don't see every single team drafting Dalton Kincaid, which is somewhat um, refreshing. And maybe that is an omen. Maybe that's a sign of things to come. But um, yeah, I mean, outside of that, you're right. Every every uh, mock draft simulator gives you a good grade when you take whoever. So obviously they all, you know, um, Every single team has drafted Broderick. Every every team from eight to seventeen has drafted Broderick Jones or Darnell Wright or Christian Gonzalez or Devin Witherspoon five hundred times. Um, and so yeah, it's, it'll. Uh, the the beauty of NFL teams is that only one team gets to pick each player, uh, contrary to popular belief. So they do need to have a contingency when uh, the the player they like goes before them, which is not what Packers Twitter wanted to hear two years ago when they were. Uh, explicitly should have known that the fan base only wanted them to draft receivers. Yeah. And that's, that's the way that it went. And sometimes they like, you know, we've it's unfortunately with Twitter, there is no nuance with anything. So despite the way things went, you know, maybe the plan was X and all of a sudden it turned into Y and I have good reason to believe that that, that is what happened, but the only team that we can 100% guarantee is getting the player that they want in this draft is Carolina. And they paid a premium for that to be the case. You know, prior to that, there's only two ways to guarantee that you get the player that you want. Number one, pay really expensive amount of price to move up to that number one spot. Or number two, be the worst team in the NFL. Congratulations to the Chicago Bears for being able to uh, have that honor this past season. But that's that's the only way. And, you know, that's one thing. When you guys see the mocks that I have, like I did one today uh, as I spit one out, and I was just like, this isn't necessarily an endorsement, just a prediction kind of based on the way the Packers have structured their, their top 30 visits and, and just some other stuff on like how the draft could shake out. And then of course you get people in the, well, you can't ever draft a tight end here. Cause I, Michael Mayer was my guy at, at 15. If, if I had to guess a tight end that green Bay is going to like, if they took one early, I would guess Mayer just because he's the most well-rounded of the group. He doesn't skew more towards, pass catcher or blocker versus, you know, being one dimensional, not to say Kincaid is that or anything like that, but that's just the way that I did things. And it's just like, well, maybe you think that, but NFL teams don't. And, and the Packers don't, you know, the, the whole thing last year was you can't draft an off ball linebacker in the first round and green Bay did. And I'm not saying they were right or wrong for doing that, but I have very good reason to believe that, Quay Walker would have been their pick from 15 down. Like he was incredibly high on their board. And that is just the way that it shook. So they took him. Um, but yeah, I, I'm ready for, for that part of it to be over. I'm ready. And I'm also ready to move on from the, well, I hated this guy pre-draft, but my favorite team took him. So he must be good thing. Um, you know, that's kind of the, I still kind of catch some flack for that. Cause I was like very consistent with, did not like Jordan love the prospect have seen nothing. I don't care that he's the starting quarterback now. Like I'm still like, I still haven't seen anything to change my opinion on him. I hope he does. Well, he is the starting quarterback for my favorite team, but that doesn't mean I just all of a sudden think he's going to be really good either. Now I hope he is. And I hope I'm wrong. That's not quote unquote hate. That's not anything like that. It's just the way that it was, but I look forward to getting through all of that stuff figuring out why every one of the 256 players that's drafted is going to be awesome, falling in love with the same four undrafted free agents for the entire summer, and then gnashing of teeth when we figure out that one or most of them are going to end up cut. And almost all of them in Green Bay's case, if they get cut and are 
able to walk and chew bubblegum pretty much end up on the practice squad. It's pretty rare that the Oneida all-star, if you will, ends up uh, somewhere else unless they find, you know, a much better opportunity or some team guarantees them a starting spot or something like that at a camp, which never happens. So that's where we're at. That's all. We've got an offensive tackle class to break down. And, and earlier this week, Yosh Nyman signed his restricted free agent tender. So he is going to be on the team. There had been some speculation that maybe the, maybe another team would try and sign him, which would net the Packers a second round pick and move from there. That's not going to happen. Nyman's going to play in green Bay. Uh, and that's, I mean, that was one of those things that I said I wasn't I wasn't going to be upset if that happened. Uh, obviously, he's a very good insurance policy for for David Bakhtiari at left tackle. He's played there over the last couple of years. Most backup left tackles around the NFL suck for lack of, you know, compared to other NFL players, of course, I'm saying that. But it's not a good situation if you're playing your backup left tackle. If Green Bay is, they're in a better spot than most teams are. Uh, he's also probably penciled in as their starting right tackle as we sit here. Uh, in mid-April before the draft. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then the Packers have now all of their offensive linemen from last season are, are back on the roster. So they're starting five that ended the season was Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, John Runyon, and Yosh Nyman. It'll be interesting to see the camp battles at right now. It's early, of course, and the Packers will draft at least one offensive lineman they have every year since Brian Gutekunst took over. And I think that even dates back to every year since Ted Thompson was the general manager. I think it's every year since 2005, they've drafted at least one offensive lineman. So they'll add at least one the last three years. They've added three. It'll be interesting to see, but the camp battles that I'm looking at right now are basically where does Zach Tom end up on this list? And depending on who they draft now, we'll, we'll talk about Peter Skaronsky here in a minute. Cause that adds a couple of wrinkles to this, but if Zach Tom ends up, uh, if they think he can play center, then I can imagine a camp battle between he and Josh Myers I can also imagine a battle. He finished the season at right tackle. Like the Packers benched Josh Nyman during the season. And Lafleur admitted that was a performance thing, not a, not just an injury thing. So they did have him play right tackle to close out the season as well. Oh, and just what's your take as we go? And we'll talk about the class here in a minute, but just the overall quality of this group of offensive tackles and offensive line as a whole with the team that Green Bay has assembled thus far. Um, I think it's probably... I say this without a ton of background research done. Probably one of the more comprehensive units. Um, you know, we've seen Green Bay is obviously very much values offensive line depth. And I think that's something that, um, you know, all 32 teams would tell you that they don't have enough good offensive linemen on their team. And no team has enough uh, depth there. It's tested every single year. Um, just the nature of the position. Right? It's a very attrition-filled uh group where the only guys that get hit on every single play are, are the big dudes. Right. So I think if everything were to go on paper, I think they're pretty happy with it. Right. I think if you can guarantee that David Bakhtiari plays every game and start, or plays every snap, I think you're all right. I think if Elton Jenkins is able to stay healthy, I think if uh, Yosh Nyman plays as well as they anticipate. Right. I think that if John Runyon can continue to kind of be the, Mr. Utility, uh, fill in anywhere admirably, I think that's great. Um, but you get an injury here or there, you get a guy dinged up. Maybe you have a guy with a bad year or a nagging injury throughout the year, and all of a sudden, you know, we've kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago that, uh, you know, it shouldn't be ruled out if Green Bay takes a tackle. Um, and, you know, some fans may point to, well, they have all this depth, like you guys are talking about it literally right now. And to an extent, you're right. Um, you know, but to say that it's a stretch of the imagination that David Bakhtiari ends up hurt and then all of a sudden you're starting Zach Tom and Yosh Nyman at tackle and then your next tackle on the roster is Caleb Jones or Luke Tenuta or Gene DeLance who are certainly offensive linemen on the Packers roster right now. Um, How many NFL snaps have they played? Zero. Uh, actually, take it back. I don't know if Luke Tenuta has played. I know DeLance and Caleb Jones have not. Um, regardless, uh, certainly do not um, qualify as players that you um, would stop you from or should stop you from further investing in the position. They're very upgradable um, from a talent perspective. And so I think that's something where, Again, and it's unfortunate because when he is healthy, he's as good as anyone we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years, um, maybe sans Joe Thomas. 
But David Bakhtiari has not proven to be hyper dependable from a health standpoint. It just is what it is. It's nothing intentional. You know, it's just, it's the nature of the game that we're talking about. Right. So overall, I think they have quite a bit of depth. However, again, quality depth can be tested pretty quickly. You know, say Josh Myers gets hurt and David Bakhtiari is dinged up. All of a sudden you're on O-lineman seven in the starting lineup. And now all of a sudden eight and nine are your dependent on reserves, right? So is your ninth offensive lineman as good as you would like them to be? Usually that's not the case, right? Or is your ninth offensive lineman capable of blocking an NFL starter? Again, may not be the case on a consistent basis. So, um, while I do think they have uh, a better setup than most, it's certainly nothing that, that should keep them from further investing in it. Um, I also think that to an extent, this is the right way to do it, right? Like there's no way to, you know, if you only just draft the guys you have and then you just hold on to them like grim depth, like that's not the way to to continue to improve your unit, right? They brought in Caleb Jones as an undrafted free agent. They've brought in Luke Tenuta. They've brought in Gene Delance guys of that sort. And that's good. That's what, that's what they're there for. Right. Is to push that and to, to provide depth. Um, however, you know, it's, so what have you done for me lately thing, right. And all the, every single year, new and theoretically better players come into the NFL. Um, and, and to, uh, to not dip into that. Well, I think would be foolish and ignorant. Yeah. And they've done the other, not even just the, the younger guys, but they've done this with veterans. We've seen, you know, Rick Wagner, was a free agent signing, a priority free agent signing for the Packers. He was a backup. He did not start uh, to start that season and was not a preferred starter when everyone was healthy uh, that particular year. Dennis Kelly was another example of a player like that. And I mean, you guys have seen it. We've talked about it a bunch uh, just the last couple of weeks when it comes to this particular podcast, but it's just like you mentioned, like, is your ninth guy able, able to block a starter? And some people are like, well, nine. Oh, and that means like four backups. It's like, well, yeah, that's, the Packers last year used at least eight different offensive linemen and, and probably more, to be honest with you, I'm just going off the top of my head. Cause I know they used their five starters. I know they used Royce Newman, Jake Hansen and Zach Tom. So those are their five starters. That's eight. I mean, that just adds up very quickly as you guys can see on those types of things, but, and you've seen it in other years, like green Bay has had it. I, I was talking pre-show with Owen about 2015 where, by the end of the game, the Packers were playing in Arizona and it was Don Barclay and Josh Walker at left tackle and right tackle, respectively. And the reason for that is, is a couple different things. Number one, like Owen mentioned, there's not a lot of good starting caliber offensive tackles on the planet, number one. Number two, the Packers at that point had done a pretty poor job of investing in the position and relying on guys like Don Barclay and never bringing in competition to potentially replace him or Josh Walker and keeping him on the team because he was an undrafted guy. Like they just didn't cycle through the middle to bottom of their roster the way that personally, I think Brian Gutekunst has done a better job of and not just on the offensive line. There are things to be critical about when it comes to Brian Gutekunst, but the way he kind of churns the roster, I think he does a pretty good job with, with that part of it. Well, another thing too, and you know, we talk about 2015 and 2016 NFC Championship game, which I understand rostering a game day roster is much different than your the totality of your 90 man roster and how you address positions. But Latroy Guyon was a nose tackle that finished that NFC Championship game at guard because they ran out of guys. Like it just it's you know, like I said, injuries don't have to be um, all season enders to to test your depth, right? All of a sudden, Bakhtiari tweaks his knee and. He gets an MRI and well, things are promising, but he's going to miss at least a week or two. And then that next game, your left guard gets rolled up on. And while it's just an MCL sprain and he may be out just a week, again, that's two guys. And then all of a sudden the next game, well, again, someone gets rolled up on or God forbid a concussion, right? Or anything else. All, like it doesn't take long and you can be like, yeah, like, well, we do have guys coming back, but they're not immediately available this second. And so it's, you know, again, it doesn't need to be like not every, not every player needs to tear their ACL and be out for the rest of the year um, for you to, to kind of be dependent on depth to either get you out of a game or get you through a couple starts or, and in some cases, right. To, to start at a position the rest of the year. Well, and we've seen too, like, for example, last year, one game, one game is the difference between green Bay playing in the playoffs versus not. Uh, and I know, go ahead and make your joke about how they would have gotten smashed by the 49ers anyway. Sure. But like that could, okay. So, 
let's go a different route. In 2014, when the Packers lost that game in Buffalo, that was the difference between playing a championship game in Seattle versus Lambeau Field. Like it may not seem like a big deal at the time when it happens, but that one game, it's the one thing that cannot be emulated by all of the other major sports. It's why, in my opinion, the NFL is the most popular league is because each week really does matter. Like you cannot load manage your way through an NFL season. Like teams are not going to sit their starting quarterback the way that the Clippers sit Kawhi Leonard every other game, just to name one team as an example. You can't do that because that does matter. You know, nowadays in the other sports like basketball, even especially in basketball, honestly, I remember when I was growing up and younger, like home court was a huge deal. Like you wanted to be, you had to be a top four seed and make sure like if it was a game seven, it was on our home floor kind of thing. Not really the case anymore. Uh, maybe for a few select things, you know, Boston and Milwaukee, for example, it might matter in, in that specific instance, something like that. But for the most part, a lot of teams just don't care about it. And, and that's the thing, the point I'm getting at is, you know, you got two guys missing for one game. I mean, that's a lot of shuffling and it's hard for players to prepare that way. The Packers have talked about it. You know, the, the week where Zach Tom started at left tackle in Washington, I think because Bakhtiari just woke up and couldn't go. And again, that's not, that's not Bakhtiari's fault. I'm not faulting him. I actually push back a lot on the people that are just like, well, he's just injured and doesn't care, got his money and stopped caring. Cause that's just not how NFL players are wired. And that's not everything Bakhtiari has ever said or done suggests that's not how he's wired at all either. So I don't, I don't put any stock into that, but it's just a reality. It's complicated injury. Like that's what it was. And just because, you know, on Madden, a torn ACL means you're out for 16 weeks. It's very clear at this point, it was much more than just a torn ACL that Bakhtiari is still working through quite frankly. Um, But it can take a while to figure some of that stuff out. Let's move to this class Owen. And the first guy I want to start with, because I mentioned, potentially adding competition to a couple different spots. And that's Northwestern. He's a, he's a legacy Packer. Um, if this was college football, that's what we would be calling this at least, but it's Peter Skaronsky, a uh, family member, of course, played for the Packers back in the sixties, uh, was on the Lombardi Super Bowl team. And there's some scuttle about, he's got shorter arms. Can he play tackle? Is he a guard? Some people are even suggesting now that he would play center and that would be his best position. What's your take on the Northwestern product? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, yeah, ironically, Peter Skaronsky, uh played as a true freshman and at left tackle for Northwestern because their prior left tackle, who's now the left tackle for the San Diego Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers, excuse me, um, Rashawn Slater opted out of the COVID season in 2020. People will remember that Rashawn Slater faced the same questions and same, uh, well, uh, he doesn't have 34-inch arms, so I don't know if he'll be able to play offensive tackle, even though he just shut down Chase Young from Ohio State, and we have a lot of really good film of him being a really good football player. Um, Skaronsky is a guy who, uh, measured in very similarly to Zach Martin to use a, a similar or Joel Batonio with the Cleveland Browns. Um, both of them play guard in the NFL. However, I don't think it's any stretch to say that Zach Martin could have played left tackle in the NFL and been just fine. Now he has been the best guard in football for the last nine years, but the case is Rashawn Slater is also playing left tackle for the Chargers and is very, very good at it. 
Um, the one thing I would say is that Skaronsky is not the elite level athlete that Rashawn Slater was. So with that being said, I do think he could be a fine left tackle or right tackle for that sake in the NFL. Uh, we had this discussion pre-show. I, I would venture to say that there are less passable uh, tackles in the NFL than guards. Um, and for that, that reason, I believe that he will um, stay at tackle. However, again, Joel Petonio, Zach Martin, um, other examples of good college tackles being bumped inside and being very, very, very good at guard, um, depending on the team, right? I think if the Green Bay Packers took Skaronsky, um, I don't, they have not shown, um, I couldn't tell you the last time the Packers drafted a guard in the first round. Um, Elton Jenkins was obviously a mid second round pick with tackle experience in college. Um, I don't think, I think he fits what the Packers like and and want. I I don't know if they would value him that highly. I I don't think um, he may not get to 15, much less fall in case they were to trade down or something of that effect. But um, Skronsky's a guy, he's, he's a, a good football player. He's not an overwhelming mover in the run game as far as like, he's not going to like physically displace any and every player he goes against off of the line of scrimmage but he's a good enough athlete. He's very technically sound. He was, I don't, I don't even believe he was a tackle in high school. Ended up playing left tackle out of necessity um, at Northwestern and has been very good at it, uh, but is much more of a, um, a workman like left tackle, as opposed to most of the other guys we will discuss in this class who uh, guys like Darnell Wright or Paris Johnson or Dewan Jones um, or even Broderick Jones, who are these much more built in a lab, ideal body types, at, at tackle, Skaronsky is much more in that just a hair under six foot four and in, in the uh, lower 300 pound range. But um, he's a very good offensive lineman, had a very good career at Northwestern, being markedly the best player there uh, over the last couple of years. And he's a guy that uh, I wouldn't miss the forest for the trees on, right? He's a very good offensive lineman, draft him. Um, if he doesn't work at tackle, he can play guard type of thing. But I think the amount of, and, and, even if even if you were to draft him with the intent of him being a starting offensive tackle and he were to maybe not live up to those expectations of a top whatever 10 to 12 pick is at tackle, I do believe he would be able to um, fit in just fine uh, and fulfill those expectations as a guard as well. So, um, again, he's the only tackle out of these this top group that really has any um, – any question as to whether or not he would stick at tackle in the next level. Yeah. And you mentioned if green Bay were to draft him, I think that he would be in a competition to be their starting right tackle. I don't envision. Well, I mean, I guess they did do it with Balaga where Balaga was going to be the left tackle until he got injured. Uh, unfortunately on family night that one season, his arms are a little bit shorter than, than Balaga's arm. Does that matter? Does that not? I'll let you guys decide whether or not you think that does. I think that I would let him, me personally, I would let him fail at tackle first, kind of like you mentioned. And then if he does plug him in at guard, you know, John Runyon Jr. is on an expiring contract. That is something that uh, potentially gets overlooked when it comes to talking about the Packers and especially with their offensive line set, because we've spent so much time talking about Bakhtiari and Nyman and, and all these other people. But like John Runyon is, uh, up for a contract this season. So maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. Green Bay has, I wouldn't say actively, but they've tried to replace him the last couple of years. Uh, they've had him and he's been competing for his job, not penciled in as a starter, not guaranteed quote unquote, a starting spot each of the last couple of years. Uh, and that's, that's interesting to me at least. So it's at least possible that they'll look at something like that. But, but I do like Skaronsky. Uh, I think that if, you know, if Green Bay were to pick him at 15, I think that would be a good pick. He could be, like I said, potentially a, I don't think he's a plug and play starter at right tackle. Like I'm not convinced he's better right now than Yosh Nyman is, but that's okay. That doesn't mean that he has to be. I would imagine he could potentially play a guard spot. I know there's been some like scuttle that maybe he could play center. I don't know if he has any experience snapping the ball, but it's not as simple as just saying, teach him how to do it. Um, And I say that as somebody who played guard, and then, and granted, I'm a much, much smaller, more elementary level at this 
but played guard at a younger age and then had to step in and play center. There's a learning curve. And that's especially, and this was when I was younger, I just had to snap the ball with the quarterback's hands under my butt. That doesn't even include shotgun snaps and, and pistol snaps and direct snaps to running backs and all these different things. These offenses can do now that maybe they didn't do as much years and years ago, but I'm interested to see how that goes. Uh, oh, and who do you think just of the top of this class, you talked about some of the other guys, who is the best offensive? Like if green Bay is sitting there, you could have your pick of the lot at 15. I tell you no offensive linemen have been picked in the first 14 picks. Who's the guy that you want available at number 15 that you're saying, this is the best guy in this class. I think if I truly like had my pick as far as like tools and measurables and developmental upside consider like considered, I think Paris Johnson from Ohio state would be my guy. Um, He's six, six and a half, uh, is incredibly athletic for a man that size. Has trained with Willie Anderson, um, you know, a former right tackle for the, the Bengals for a long time, probably a future NFL Hall of Famer at some point. Um, he's a guy who's been well coached. He played uh, right guard his freshman year at Ohio State simply as a way to get him on the field um, because they had two future NFL offensive tackles currently playing there um, and then bumped out to left tackle once – um, once that position was made available, but he's a guy to me. Nice to see those guys in Ohio catch a break. They never seem to. No doubt, that. no doubt about it. Finally, a, a good prospect for the Buckeyes. Um, you know, but as far as like a, a mix of athleticism, upside, measurables, um, and and pedigree, I think he's probably the best mix of that. To me, I think he would be my ideal pick or the um, the best combination of all involved. Although I would say that probably Broderick Jones and uh, Darnell Wright probably aren't far behind. Uh, and that's certainly not a knock on Peter Skaronsky either. But just as far as, um, you know, if you're building a team, um, I think that Skaronsky's upside may just be a bit lower. I think he's probably closer to a very solid football player um, as opposed to legitimate big time potential uh, athletically or otherwise. And so otherwise, those top three would probably be. There, uh, I don't have, um, I think th- there's a lot of appeal as someone that was also higher on Daniel Falele than most, uh, Dewan Jones, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him. He is another mongoloid sized human being, um, went to Ben Davis high school in Indianapolis, um, coached by one of my buddies there, Jason Simmons, uh, is a 1% human being. 6'8", 370 pounds. And while I do find that overwhelmingly appealing, I'm probably the first person to tell you, like, football is a big people sport. Like, usually the team with the better big people wins. Um, I think that guys who are that that size anomaly is not always something to uh, take um, without some trepidation. And as we've seen, right, like, there are guys like Trent Brown who have made it work. Also, there are guys – uh, that size, right? Like Falele doesn't start. I understand he was just Caleb a Caleb Jones, guy, right? But like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's guys like Caleb Jones. It's not necessarily an automatic. You're a massive human being, so you will be a good football player. Um, Jones also has some fairly legitimate weight concerns. Um, his weights fluctuated quite a bit at Ohio State, uh, and, and depending on where he ends up. Not that I'm, I'm doubting Green Bay's nutritional program. Um, I know Caleb Jones is listed at 370. I know he's quite a bit smaller than that, but um, you know, there's, there's always a certain amount of risk taking a player, uh, with those legitimate weight issues and that those fluctuations. And, and I think that those are some of the reasons that I think that Dewan Jones will probably end up falling a bit despite his, um, I think if you had never seen any of these people play football before, that would be the first person you picked just because he's the biggest and in that range. Um, but I think there is some, some, uh, reason for apprehension there. And I think that that's probably why to me, um, you know, all things considered, he's probably like the fifth in line out of those tackles, despite maybe being the most gifted physically or having the best genetics. Yeah, that is what do they call it? Like the first first team off the bus guys or what it like the guys that you want him being the first dude to walk off the bus, but he's not necessarily the best football player. Uh, you mentioned Falele. That's one guy that's like that. Caleb Jones is probably like that in Green Bay. One thing that does get I do remember a quote from Gutekunst after they drafted Josh Myers and somebody asked him like, what was the appeal to Myers? And he did say, we, 
number one, we play in Green Bay, and he said because of that, we want to build a big, intimidating offensive line. And he like those were his exact words. So that's something that gives me it sticks in my brain with the whole like oh they'll never pick that guy or you know something like that. That could be something that gives them some appeal, especially if they look at day two. If Dewan Jones were to be something like that, uh, they have gone like for example josh myers is bigger than creed humphrey that's not the only reason they took josh myers over creed humphrey but it is something that they have explicitly expressed that they do value and want at those positions and i do wonder if that's something especially as green bay now transitions to potentially a more run first approach uh without aaron Rodgers in the starting lineup if that's something that they want to have as more you know, less athlete, less finesse, more road grading types. Cause I do know, like, as far as, I mean, oh, and I say this as nicely as I possibly can, but if Green Bay needs a yard and you want to run behind a guy that can physically displace people, Jenkins and Bakhtiari, and then, I mean, Myers, eh, John Runyon's not really moving people, and none of their options that they currently have at right tackle are going to physically move people. And that's fine. I'm not saying that's the only way to line up and gain a yard. I'm just saying that's kind of how it's been an interesting dynamic to me to watch how green Bay's wanting to clearly valuing or clearly the way they're building their team. Like, they, listen, I'll, I'll make a bunch of jokes about it and everything like that, but green Bay doesn't have the basketball on grass team. They don't have the fantasy football team. They haven't picked a ton of pass catchers. So their offense is theoretically built geared towards more running the football and playing defense and controlling the clock that way. But their offensive line isn't built to do that. It's something that I kind of talked about last year. It's like just because you have A.J. Dillon that weighs 260 pounds or whatever, that's a very nice thing to have. Leaning on an opposing defense is something that you can certainly do. But you guys saw it like Miami last year on Christmas Day. It was, it was a fourth and one, I believe. It might have been a third and one. But they handed the ball to A.J. Dillon, and he got stuffed in the backfield. Like just because he weighs a million pounds doesn't mean he – a million. That, sorry, that's disrespectful. Just because he's a big back doesn't mean – that he's able to get yardage that way. So I am curious at least to see if that's something the pack, that's why like Darnell Wright, you know, that's a player we've talked about. Can you take only a right tackle at 15 to which my answer to that question is, yeah, I understand like blindside protectors get paid more, but to me, especially the way teams want to play now with this more spread out nuanced, you know, wide open style of football, both tackles are equally as important because how do you get more pass catchers in the route? you don't have to help one of the tackles. So if you don't have to do that, you have Island tackles that way. Like green Bay was at their best in this era of football when they had Balaga healthy and, and Bakhtiari and they could just say, okay, those two guys are locked up and it's done. So I don't, I don't put much stock into the whole, they can't pick a, a right tackle only at 50. I don't put much stock into a lot of that stuff. Kind of there's lines. Of course, there are things that I wouldn't do, but like that, I just don't. You know, and I do think that is an interesting point because I think that, and while I completely agree with you that Green Bay certainly does not have a bunch of people movers up front, that's just not their identity, that they're much more horizontal and and I I hesitate to say finesse based in the run game, but the wide zone scheme is much more, it values athleticism and and mobility over sheer size and and brute force. Um, And that's where I think someone like DeWan Jones even presented the opportunity. I, I don't think he would appeal to him as them as much. Unless there is a, a an upcoming offensive philosophy shift with Green Bay, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with what, what they do or how they do it um, in uh, in practice. I, I do think in my brain, my preference, I do I think would value more um, sheer ability to, to displace people off of a spot. Um, but I, I again, I think that's something more like someone like even like Skaronsky uh, or a, a Darnell Wright, someone who tested at an elite level physically, I think that's something I think also I, I don't believe Dewan Jones participated in like any athleticism testing. Um, so I, he's another guy that to me, I think for someone like green Bay who has shown to have pretty uh, elaborate and distinguished thresholds at most of those athletic skills um, may hesitate on may balk on just because he didn't run a 40. He doesn't have any shuttle times. He didn't do really anything. Um within the, the, the pre-draft process. But as far as someone like that goes, I think Darnell Wright, who tested really well, is probably the closest to that. But, yeah, again, I think the the, the chasm between the Packers and Dewan Jones is more philosophically based um, as opposed to them, like, being unwilling 
Um, I, I don't think they're against taking big, strong offensive linemen, but I do think they're always going to uh, err on the side of athleticism and mobility given their current scheme. And I think that's probably the, the thing that would prevent Dewan Jones from being a Packer at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that. Um, that's just one of the lines that, that sticks in into my brain. So we've talked about some of those guys. Let's talk about a guy. They had a top 30 visit on that's Maryland's Jalen Duncan. Like I mentioned, he was a top 30 visit considered consensus wise as a day two type of prospect, uh, which for those of you that do not want the backers to take an offensive lineman in the first round, that's probably good news. Say what you will about the way Gudukunst has drafted, but like Eric Stokes maybe was a guy that a lot of people thought was like a second round pick, but Green Bay was picking at the very end of the first round that year. They've never picked a guy where it was like, oh man, this dude was just thought of as like a fourth round pick and they took him in the first round. Like Rashawn Gary was a consensus first round pick, no matter what, you know, everybody tried to figure out on that. Jair Alexander, maybe not in the top 20, but was a consensus first round pick Jordan love, maybe not a consensus, but after the combine, there's a video that circulated that there are legitimate, there was legitimate buzz that he could be a top 20 pick. Like that wasn't, it wasn't completely out of left field. Uh, Quay Walker, by the end of the process, we had all kind of figured out, like, I think he was mocked. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah mocked Quay to green Bay the day of the draft. Now I could be wrong on that, but I do know that that was something Devonte Wyatt was kind of like a fringe guy. So it's not like they just grabbed dudes completely out of left field. That be so I'm saying that to say Jalen Duncan being a consensus second, third round pick doesn't mean they're going to take him at 15. Now, could they take him in the second round or something like that? Certainly. Oh, and is this a guy? Cause I, I do think that, and I know we talked about this the first time we got together on this, but listening to Bakhtiari's interview with the, uh, what was it the busting with the boys or so? I don't remember what it was, what he was on, but I'm not taking that to mean like he's done with the Packers and forget that. Like, I don't want to overanalyze words. He said, however, it's more probable than not that David Bakhtiari is playing his last season as a Packer. I think that that is at least fair to say at this point. So what I'm asking you is like, if green Bay were to take a tackle at 15, you know, Paris Johnson, for example, if Paris Johnson's available, just, me speaking here, I can't think of a lot of players that I'm going to say are like they're better players that Green Bay should take like right now. And yes, for everybody listening, that includes Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think everybody who pretty much listens to this show and, and is a Packers fan in general kind of has as like the top player on their board. But like if they took, I mean, I wouldn't be mad or anything like throwing stuff or anything stupid like that because I'm a mature adult most of the time. But like Paris Johnson to me is a better player at his position. And like, he's a guy who I think that maybe he starts this year at right tackle. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's your plug and replace left tackle next season when Bakhtiari is released or something like that. I'm going through all of that nonsense to say, is Duncan somebody that you think could be the heir apparent, if you will, to the throne that is currently occupied by number 69? Uh, He would certainly kind of fill in that void. Um, He's a guy that he's been a four-year starter at, at, um, Maryland at left tackle. He's played 2,500 snaps in college at left tackle. Um, is a, a good athlete as much as I have spoken out against um, RAS as this like absolute unit of uh, what should indicate Packers interest. He does uh, have a high rating as far as a density-based athleticism score, um, which the Packers have generally lent themselves to. Uh, Duncan's a guy who was a, a pretty legitimate recruit um, in Maryland actually has, they have quite a few guys in this class and Maryland usually does recruit probably at a higher level than what they, the product they put out on the field. Um, but he's a guy that I think is probably really in play more so maybe at 45. I, I think the, the general hesitation with me from Duncan has been that he's been this four year starter. And I wouldn't tell you that he's like had these massive market jumps as a prospect. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was kind of seen as this like up and coming future first round pick type of prospect. And that's kind of what he's remained at, um, not in the realm of as a first round pick, but as a um, a pretty good athlete, solid college starting left tackle. He never really ascended into that next tier of elite athletes um, or elite offensive tackles in college. And maybe that's an indication of coaching. Maybe it's an indication of of the overall product that's going on in Maryland. Uh, but simply put, he's he's a guy that 
um, never quite continued to ascend. And so I think that's probably where the Packers could see the athleticism and the upside and what was perceived to be at one point a very uh, acclaimed prospect uh, a couple of years ago or was maybe foreshadowed to be a future first-round pick, um, you know, as a guy that uh, is worth their time. I know Mike Owen is their their Northeast scout um, and is a former offensive lineman and, and one of the um, more respected scouts the Packers have. Uh, so if that's the case, I think that's probably more of an indication of his grade on Duncan if they're bringing him in for a top 30 visit. Again, I would be absolutely floored if he goes in the first round. But, you know, if, if they end up having those multiple second-round picks, if a Rodgers deal gets done or – um, you know, even if you were to slip into the third round area, I think he would make a ton of sense for Green Bay. And I think that um, as much as we push back against this, they do have a bit of a track record of being a decent developmental lineman team. Um, not that that's what the, you know, you should never invest highly because we've had a track record of, of doing well with late round picks. But um, I think he's a guy that would make a lot of sense. And if the the powers that be really do feel as though that they don't want to continue to invest at the tackle position that highly after tendering Nyman, that would probably be a middle ground of, of a bit of a concession. Like we'll see, we didn't take a tackle in the first round, but we do need to take one in the top hundred picks. Um, and Duncan could certainly be a guy I could see that that would, um, you know, kind of move the needle for quite a few reasons as for what green Bay is typically looked for at the position. Yeah. And that was the next point I was going to make. So, we're we're running a little long on time here, so I'll just make the joke of Green Bay doesn't need to draft an offensive lineman early because they've drafted just Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer in the fourth round and, and beyond. So who are some guys that Green Bay could grab later and maybe kick inside to guard? Or, you know, maybe they have a chance to – I don't want to put be the next David Bakhtiari on them because Bakhtiari really is an outlier. Like for those of you guys that remember long enough ago – Bakhtiari was projected potentially to be like a center when he was drafted. And even after he had played, I think it was three good seasons at left tackle. They had drafted Jason Spriggs and there was some discussion that green Bay could move Bakhtiari inside to guard because of this investment that they had made to Sprig. Now that turned out to be erroneous, but it was a, a thought that was put out there just because of the lean nature of Bakhtiari's body and the ability to potentially, or not the lean nature, I'm sorry, the smaller nature of Bakhtiari's body. So it doesn't have the tackle measurables, if you will, to move him inside to guard or potentially center. But who are some guys Green Bay could grab, you know, maybe potentially later. And we're talking about them as like, Hey, there's that other fourth round steal, fifth round steal that Green Bay found. And now he's there, you know, starting right tackle for them. Sure. So I think someone that really kind of fits that mold and someone that I, I had the, the privilege, I guess, of getting to know a bit in Las Vegas is Pittsburgh's Carter Warren. Uh, who's a guy who coming into the season ended up going back to school after last season, had accepted a senior bowl invite um, and went back to school after last year uh, because he felt as though he could get better. Ended up kind of uh, fighting through injuries this past year at Pitt. And obviously Pitt didn't have the year this year that they did with Kenny Pickett the year prior. Uh, but he's a guy that uh, was kind of falling back under the radar just because he, again, kind of went back to school and, and he's not Paris Johnson, right? He's not a former five-star recruit. He's not some, um, very maybe considered to be a very high upside guy due to his age. He was a sixth year senior this past year. Uh, but Carter Warren's a guy who's played quite a bit on both sides. He was the left tackle at Pitt the last three years, but Pitt, uh, at least leading up to this year, um, under Mark Whipple, had done a ton of unbalanced offensive line stuff. And so as a result, ended up playing tight end on the right side of the line quite a bit um, in a lot of those packages. So is comfortable with sets on both sides. And he's a guy I think that could be in play early day three, um, maybe even in the third round, again, depending on on how they feel about him. He's an older prospect, but Carter Warren's a guy that could fit that bill. Um, as far as a, a college tackle that, that the Packers uh, would like, who um, very likely won't end up at tackle in the NFL, I would go with Jordan McFadden, uh, the, the left tackle from Clemson. I, he's a guy that who – I think is being projected quite a bit inside, even to center potentially, um, but has 34 inch arms despite being under six foot three um, and ended up running, I think like a five flat or even like four nine nine that had very good agility drills. Um, so Jordan McFadden's another guy who I think that fits the Packers like a uh, threshold of a former college tackle um, would make a lot of sense for them. I think another guy uh, that would really kind of fit that bill 
this would be a, a much later swing, but a, a high quality athlete would be Louisville's Trevor Reed, uh, who's a guy who had like a 38 inch vertical at 308 pounds or whatever the case was um, for their pro day. It was a, a five flat 40 guy, um, has a basketball background, so was a big time athlete. But Trevor Reed's another guy that um, was a part of a, a major wide zone scheme at Louisville under Scott Satterfield, who's now um, now the head coach, I believe, at Purdue. Uh, but that's the, uh, again, the familiarity with the scheme, uh, the athleticism background, and the propensity for the Packers to like guys like that. Um, and again, the former college tackle experience. Well, I think that Reed is a tackle only. Um, those are a couple of guys who I think make, make some sense. Another guy, Chandler Zavala, was a Division II left tackle at Fairmont State. Uh, played the last two years at North Carolina State at left guard. Um, also tested very well. Uh, would be another good fit. He is probably the the right mix of uh, wide zone athlete while also being a bit of a people mover. They do run quite a bit of gap scheme at North Carolina State as well. So he's another guy, I think, that if they were to venture to that Elton Jenkins, uh, former tackle that really actually played inside mostly at college but has that experience, I think Chandler Zavala is another guy that would make a lot of sense for Green Bay in the third or fourth round. So there you have it. There's the answers to all the tests, guys. The We are out of time, though. We have we have run incredibly long today. Uh, next week we'll be back. It's the day before the draft when you guys are listening to this show. So it'll be a lot of fun talking next week. I'm going to keep the topic a secret this week because I've given it to you guys each the last couple weeks. So I'm going to keep it a secret. You can follow me on my Twitter. I'm at Jacob Westhoff. You can follow him. He's Owen Reese. You can follow him at Reese Draft. And you can get a copy, if you want, more answers to these tests, of the Green Bay Draft Guide. Just Google Gum Road Green Bay Draft Guide. You'll find a copy for less than 10 bucks. 225 profiles catered to the Green Bay Packers. So I can't think of anything better to spend your guys' money on as we get closer to the draft here. But until then, we will be back next week. Like I mentioned, I will tell you what we're talking about when you come back. So I guess you got to listen. Enjoy the enjoy your guys' week. We'll see you then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.